0: ComC is happy to offer their new discounted consignment service, ComC Fresh Pulls. Effective immediately, ComC is offering 50% off processing fees for all newly released trading card consignments. To qualify, cards must be received within 90 days of the hobby release date and submitted using the Elite, Select, or Mailbox processing service level. ComC is happy to announce their December auction event. For the whole month of December, ComC is now offering auctions on all cards with no minimum auction fee. Submit your items today. To stay up to date with ComC and all their newest promotions, follow ComC on all social media at checkoutmycards one word on all platforms. You're listening to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute, a podcast where we discuss both the hobby and business sides of collecting. I'm your host Mike Summer, and I want to help you buy, sell and trade your way into a collection you'll love. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Wax Pack Hero Sports Card Minute. Well, if you like pre-war vintage cards, if you're interested in learning how to spot fake reproduced cards that people are trying to pass off as real, and if you're interested in all the different card shows that have been popping up across the country, then today's guest is the guy that you need to learn more about. Today, I'm going to bring on Ryan Nolan, and he's a vintage collector collector, In 2021, he went around the country and went to 52 different card shows in 2021. And he also just published a book called Spotting Fakes, which outlines kind of the, I think it's the 50 most commonly faked cards that are out there and teaches you what to look for when you're looking at some of these cards. And you know what? Some of them even include cards that have been graded and are in Uh, Some of the big grading company cases, but he tells you what to look at. We'll get into more of that in our conversation, and we'll go ahead and get right into that conversation after I tell you about Underdog Collectibles, the online shop run by collectors for collectors. It breaks new product every Tuesday, Thursday, and Sunday night. And you can see what they're going to break at udogcollect.com. You can join their Facebook community, and you can subscribe to their YouTube channel to watch those breaks. Or you can check out their physical shop in Knoxville, Tennessee, and see some of those live breaks there, along with their selection of wax and singles. Check out udogcollect.com and tell them Wax Pack Hero sent you.
1: Hi, this is Scott Spizio and you're listening to the Wax Packs Hero Sports Card Minute.
0: Today, I want to welcome Ryan Nolan to the show. Ryan is someone who is all over social media. He has been all over the country this year. And so I wanted to bring him on to have a conversation about his background and what he's been up to within the hobby. So Ryan, welcome.
1: Hey, Mike, thanks for having me on. Why don't we start for those
0: in the audience who may not be familiar with you? Why don't we start by just giving a little bit of a background about who you are and and what your kind of collecting journey has been like up to this point?
1: Sure, yeah. So my name is Ryan Nolan, named after the legendary pitcher himself, Nolan Ryan, if you guys are some big baseball fans over there. And I've pretty much been in cards my entire life. So I was pretty much born with cards. My dad owned a LCS in the 90s and sold it off. And when I was born, I was an excuse for him to get back into the hobby. Oh, I have to bring Ryan to card shows or card shops. And I quickly really, really got into cards at a really young age. And my main collection this entire time, I did dabble a little bit in modern, but it was mostly vintage cards. I found a a big appreciation for them just because the scarcity compared to modern cards and also being able to pick up legends. And I found that being, I found that a lot of fun. And within the last uh, year and a half, I decided to make a YouTube channel with one of my friends, Steven, which is called Breakout Cards. And I kind of took collecting to the next level. So I was never really on social media for collecting. I just had my own PC, did whatever with it. And for some reason, I was like, all right, let's build out a card show YouTube channel. I think I saw a few different card show vlogs from the national. There was like card collector Two, And a few other people posted vlogs. I found that kind of interesting. And I knew there was a bunch of local shows with that in Florida. So uh, we decided to start recording some videos. Uh, there was a show in Apopka, Florida, which is close to where we're at UCF. Recorded a video there and just started hitting up the local Florida shows. One day uh, we decided to go to Dallas. People were like, oh, you need to fly out to the Dallas card show. I've only flown out for one card show before that. I went to the national. I think it was in 19 yeah, or 18 or 19. The one in Chicago right before they canceled it. Yeah, it was 19. It all blends together at this point. But I went to that national. I canceled it in 2020. But people were saying, oh, you need to go to Dallas. It's insane card show. It's going to be like the national and uh, decided to go to the Dallas card show. And that was one of the most popular videos on the channel. I found it quite fun because I saw a bunch of brand new dealers that were not any of these Florida shows. I mean, sure, there's a few Florida dealers that went there, but seeing so much new inventory, seeing a whole new culture of people and being able to try like local foods, I found it really fun. So from that one Dallas card show, I started traveling to card shows all across the country. I was like, hey, man, if I can cover the costs of going to the show with a few flips, and then being able to find some cards for my PC, which I want to find at the local shows or on like eBay or MySlabs or any other marketplace, this is fun. And I somehow got addicted to it. And uh, during this year, I was talking to another YouTuber, which was Neo. And he was asking me like, how many sports card shows I went to? I didn't even realize that at that time when I went to it. And then it was like towards mid end of summer, I think. And I was well over 30 and I couldn't believe it. So I decided, all right, I'm going to finish off 52 card shows for the year. And I've been working towards that goal and just accomplished that recently with show number 52 in Alabama.
0: Yeah. So that was one of the things I wanted to make sure that we touched on is this goal of getting to 52 different shows. And it sounds like that didn't, that you didn't even start that goal in January. It wasn't even like the beginning of the year was when you started that, that kind of came on, you know, you, you talked a little bit about getting addicted, but. When did you like get serious about scouring the internet for all these different shows? Where are they going to be? Putting in the planning that it would take to get that done. How did how did that come about?
1: Yeah. So just from collecting days, I've always heard about some of the bigger shows, like let's say a Philly show or Chantilly. So shows like that were always on my radar with social media today. People are always tweeting or posting about their local shows or bigger shows that are happening. Whereas a few years ago, I would have no idea that all these shows were springing out, and I know it's been a new revolution with all these different shows coming out out of nowhere. But because people talking about it on social media, I'm able to find these shows and then go out to them like that. And for like the preparation side of things, as bad as it sounds, I sometimes prepare one or two weeks right before the show. I'm kind of loose with my scheduling just because I never know what pops off, and if I find something that looks cool, all right, let's go to it and. Sometimes that's bad because I pay a little bit more on pricing, but I still try to stay budget with everything. So the recoup costs and everything's like that, like I'll take $50 or $60 Spirit or Frontier flights. Are they uncomfortable? Yes, they're horrible. Um, they're not enjoyable flights, but to be able to go travel and enjoy a new show and a new culture, it's really fun.
0: What was the most shows that you were able to attend in one single weekend?
1: So I, I attended three shows in one day before. And I called that for a weekend. I could have probably gone to four or five if I wanted to, but man, after doing three shows, driving across the whole state of Florida, that was enough.
0: But you also have a nine to five job, right? And so it's not like you can just spend all week traveling to these things. Like you're having to fit these in, leaving after work and getting back in time for Monday. Is that right?
1: That is a hundred percent correct. So I work eight to five as a full-time data analyst. Uh, I price tax software. So I work on that every week. And during lunches, you know, I'll work on some stuff for breakout, whether it was like writing the book, which we're going to talk about a little bit later, or just planning out. I'll do that during lunch breaks. And then when I get home, I work pretty much every night. It's a lot of work. People don't realize how much it is, but a lot of working till one or two o'clock at night. And if you think about starting at 8am in the morning, all the way till one or two o'clock at night, just working nonstop, only breaks are exercising, which I, I kind of stopped that this year a little bit with the card show vlogs, which I kind of regret because I got out of shape quite a bit, but that, and then just like spending time with my girlfriend or eating dinner, but I'm literally working until one or two at the clock in the morning, almost every day.
0: Did she come with you on these things on, on any of these trips or did she kind of stay back home?
1: Yeah, she went to the national. So how I did the national, I spent two days there with Steven uh, we went to the national, checked it out. And the next two days decided to take a mini vacation in Chicago. So it was pretty nice being able to enjoy some time off with that. But you know, next year with Atlantic City, I definitely want to go to the national a few more days than two because I couldn't even see everything and all the different events. And people that were there, just way, way too much to uh, only see it in two days.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure by the end as you gained more and more notoriety that it was even harder and harder to just be able to find time to focus on looking at cards because you were focused on content and people interacting with you.
1: Yeah, I definitely say the content side I think takes up quite a bit of time. What's was interesting though, the national, not as many people recognized me there as some of the other like smaller shows across the board, even before then or after. I think with, the, with shows like that, people are so overwhelmed with everything there and there's so many other content creators that after a while, it's like, oh, do I want to talk to them? No, I have other things to do and different things like that. So I was able to scour through a lot of cards during the time.
0: That's that's cool. Uh, what was your favorite pickup that you found? I mean, it's it had to be cool seeing the different inventory that was all over the country at different shows have, you know, different levels of inventory. What What was your favorite thing that you were able to pick up this year?
1: So- At the national itself, my favorite pickup was a Joe Lewis. So I picked up a PSA seven of his 1935. I know some people consider rookie. Some people don't. He has a card in 31, but he wasn't, I don't believe he was a professional boxer in 31. So it's mislabeled by PSA. Not sure the actual years, but the 1935 Joe Lewis, it's the larger one. I got that as a PSA seven at the national. That was my favorite pickup there. Across the board though, my favorite pickup at a show was a Walter Johnson portrait that I got at Dallas. And the reason why that was my favorite pickup, not besides of like, that was a grow card I really, really wanted. Also on top of it, it had a little bit of a scarcer back to overprint. So it's not the common backs that you see out there. A little bit lower pop, which always is a plus. I don't care if I had a normal back, but just having the extra uh, scarcity is really nice. But it kind of incorporated you know, using multiple shows, trading up and just working hard to get that card because I traded throughout multiple shows to be able to grab it. I made a few trades. I think it was at the Miami card show, brought some of those cards to Dallas. I traded those cards out earlier in the day and worked my way up. I think in total, I only spent like between 700 and and $1,000 just on cards and cash to be able to get a Walter Johnson as a 2 And I mean, that's like a three to $5,000 card because of the back and being able to use multiple shows, being able to trade and find deals at the show and just work all day to achieve that is unbelievable. And I haven't had anything luck like that in any trades recently, but man, that was was such a fun time.
0: One of my favorite things about following along with you is, is one, getting to see all of the different locations and shows that you attended, but also... I love the fact that you have uh, such a focus on vintage and even pre-war and some of the non-mainstream historic cards and things like that that are out there. You talked a little bit about your dad, you know, having the shop in the past and there's a little bit of connection to vintage. Um, I guess, where did this love of vintage and pre-war come from?
1: Yeah. I think the pre-war side things I developed myself, my dad, was mostly 50s through 70s baseball so i really never experienced the pre-war side of things and he told me like when he owned a card shop people did not bring in t206 cards they didn't bring in t205s they didn't bring in miscellaneous sports from back then because those cards were put in the hands of the collectors and people were not prying them out they're like oh let me i need to sell this to a local card shop and on top of it in the 90s there's so many card shops there's probably like 20 30 each city i've heard where kind of like today, everyone's on eBay. You have the options to be able to see that stuff. So maybe there's a card shop in the area that focus on pre-war on that side of things. I don't really know the full story, but it never really got into that stuff. And the card shows that I went to and also the flea markets I went to and the shops, they really never had pre-war or any of these really, really cool items. So being able to be on the YouTube side of things and social media, I started seeing a lot of this stuff. And I was like, man, I already like vintage cards. This is, this is like a Pandora's box. There's so much Here and you know, every week I just start studying and talking to people, having the option to go to so many shows, you see many different cards that you might not have seen on eBay, my slabs, all these places, but also just things that you don't know about. So being able to talk to that dealer, and majority of the time, if a dealer has a card in their showcase, they know enough about the card where they can talk to you about it. And if not, right, just write down the set name, go back home and research it. And I've had such a great time doing that because. I feel like going to all these shows has dramatically increased my knowledge across cards in sports, just seeing all the different types of things out there.
0: Yeah. You turned me on to starting to pay a little bit of of attention to cricket cards. And so I have had a chance over this year to pick up some, some cricket cards that are 80, 90, a hundred years old, which is kind of fun. I don't know a lot about cricket. I've got some family members in Australia. And so I know that they're, they're cricket fans there, but Getting a chance to learn a little bit more and have these cards that are, you know, a century old in some cases is just really cool and is so much different than having a 2021 tops Mike Trout card or something, right? Like it, there's just something cool about that. You also talked about, you know, getting a chance to learn so much, see so much over this last year. That has given you kind of a perspective on understanding what some of these vintage cards are and if they're real or if they're fake, and that led you to write a book, and can you, can you talk a little bit about what prompted you to write Spotting Fakes?
1: Yeah, so what happened with Spotting Fakes originally started in January. I went to a local card show in Florida, the Florida Card Show, and I was trying to dabble in some more vintage hockey. Oh, not it's not necessarily vintage, but uh, a Mario Lemieux rookie card, and I didn't realize it made fake Lemieux cards. I knew that Gretzky had fake, you had to look for the dot on the shoulder, which this is like very, very like basic knowledge. There's a lot more to look for than that. There's fakes that have the dot. But back then in January, I knew the Gretzky was fake. I knew people made like fake Jordans, fake mantles, the fake Gaudi Ruth, obviously the Pete Rose, which was one of the most fake cards in the hobby. The FBI apparently seized them and whole story based around that. But that was like, to my extent of knowledge, okay, look for those cards. Obviously something's really high ticket. There's chances that's forgery. Now there's a, there's a Mario Lemieux rookie card and it was only a hundred dollars. So I'm like, all right, who's going to fake a hundred dollar Mario Lemieux card? No one. And this is when Mario Lemieux cards were starting to spike because people are like, oh, look how much Gretzky's are going for. Lemieux should be get, getting some more love in the hobby as well. So I saw it at a show. I was like, I need to take my chance for it. I'll get it slabbed as like a one or a two and then end up flipping it or keeping it for PC. Not too sure. So I picked it up and... I posted my YouTube video and I had two hockey guys that reached out to me like, Hey Ryan, I think your Mario Lemieux is a fake card. There's no way someone's faking a hundred dollar card. And they showed me, they're like, so look at the penguin eye on this one compared to the real one. Your penguin eye is a little bit larger. And I loaded up the pictures in Photoshop side-by-side truth be told mine was a fake. So I had to end up tracking down that dealer, luckily found him at Dallas, and he didn't believe that card was fake. He's like, oh, I've had it for 10, 15 years. There's no way someone faked the Mario Lemieux thing, same with me. And I showed him what people were saying, I ended up mailing him back the card and he refunded me. So I was lucky in that situation. But I realized like, if I didn't know that, and I've been in the hobby for a while, how about all these other people that are going into the hobby? Do they know all about all these fakes? And I just started scouring the web, I started talking to dealers. And seeing a lot of fakes in person. So luckily I knew a few dealers that had huge stashes of fake cards they were able to show me. And I started documenting a lot of these different things, like detailing what made this card fake, what made it real. I talked to a lot of different people across that. I looked online, there's different forms like blowout forums, which people always post if they see fake cards on different marketplaces or find out about fake cards that have been entering the market in general. And started scouring that, started scouring a ton of different websites and resources, and started building out a book because I knew there's some other fake card books, but they're kind of outdated. None of them really cover some of the modern stuff of today or really, really go in detail how to find counterfeits. So I ended up working on that for quite a while. I'd work almost every day during lunch, just typing up everything with that, doing my research on the weekends at card shows. And you know, I, I, I got it out. And unfortunately, literally a week after I got out, I found a new variation of a PSA slab that's fake. And I found fake Chrome cards for the first time, which kind of disappointed me because I'm like, man, I could add a whole page or two about fake Chrome cards and then added the fake PSA slab into all the ones I documented on there because this was a really, really good fake slab. But I was luckily able to get that out and like 180 pages or so. But man, it was tough. And that last week, oh, I got no sleep. I, I worked way too much on that to get it out. But I wanted to make sure some people were able to get it For Christmas, if they ordered it directly from Amazon, I try to get signed copies out as well before Christmas, but Amazon is going to take till mid January to get my hundred copies to my doorstep. So unfortunately, that is not the case with those, but I'm glad people were able to get it in time.
0: How many different cards did you cover in it?
1: So I covered 50 of the most fake cards in the hobby, and I did everything from baseball, football, basketball, soccer, and also did a boxing card.
0: And then... Did you have other like general advice as well, things to be watching out for? Um, Because like you said, there's these these main faked cards, but occasionally you're going to come across a reprint. It it may not even be intended to be faked, right? Sometimes it could be one of these reprints that's put out that just doesn't have a, a reprint stamp on it or in the in the information. Did you did you provide other more general advice, too?
1: Yeah. So the first 70 pages of the book is just general advice, looking at different alterations, knowing printing patterns, knowing what makes a card real or fake. So they have that first 70 pages as it's, it could honestly be a book itself. And then the next 100 pages details those 50 cards. So that way they can see ideas on how those cards at the very end are fake. And if they see them in person, they'll be able to know right away.
0: So you had a a ton of content made available this year, right? Your research on all of the fakes you had all of the travel to the different card shows that you were doing. What other content are you producing? I I think, don't you have another show that's out there too?
1: Yeah. So I have two other shows on the breakout side of things. I have another series, which is like the personal collection where I have different collectors across numerous different sports come onto the show and they show off their own personal PC. And that way people can get exposed to everything out there, whether it's new or vintage or pre-war and different sports between cricket, between hockey, baseball, football, basketball. It doesn't matter. Like If you are a collector, if you want to see different types of PCs out there and what people are going after, take a look at that video series. And I have a second channel, which is Moneyball Cards. So I'm a full-time data analyst. There's another data analyst in the community, uh, Jordan, who also owns the channel Sports Card Analytics. And we... Came together to make this show called Moneyball Cards, where once a week we apply data analysis to both sports cards and also the sports at the same time, trying to apply Moneyball philosophies to sports cards. So trying to educate people how to become wiser in the hobby, looking at the data side of things, rather than just saying, I like this player, I think it's going to go up to $500 next year for this PSA 10. Why do you think it's going to go to 500? What's the detailing numbers behind it? Is there any evidence that this card could go to 500? What's the velocity of how, how fast that could go from $100 to $500? All these questions are never answered by these people. They're just shouting out random numbers saying buy, 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 or hype something up. So we dial that back, take a look at the underlying numbers of the sport, look at some advanced statistics as well on the baseball side of things and some of the other sports as they become available and try to educate people so that way they can become a smarter buyer in the hobby.
0: Thank you for explaining kind of what you've got going on. Because like I said, for me, it's overwhelming, but you know, I'm married and have a couple of kids and, uh, and you're not married yet. And you don't have, you know, that those same commitments. So um, I get to live a little vicariously by paying attention to what you've got going on. So thanks for kind of sharing that. Before we go today, make sure you tell people where they can find you and the different content that you're producing.
1: Yeah. So you guys can find me on two different YouTube channels. So my main one, which is the card show vlogs, the fake cards, and also the personal collection is on breakout cards. And then my other one, which is Moneyball, you can find on the YouTube channel Moneyball Cards. Now I have a Twitter and Instagram for breakout, and I do have an Instagram as well for Moneyball Cards. I'm super active on Twitter. So if you ever have any question or anything like that, tweet me and I'll be able to help you out on that side of things. And also you can take a look at my book, which is Spotting Fakes that is on Amazon right now. And also I have a pre-order on my website, which is going to be shipped out mid-January. The ones on the site are signed.
0: And I will also put links to most of that stuff in the show notes. So if you didn't catch it there and you don't catch it on on Ryan's site, you'll be able to find links to all of Ryan's content from, from the show notes as well. Well, thanks again for coming on today, Ryan.
1: Hey, no problem. Thanks for having me.
2: The Sports Card Shop is your small-town local card shop with a global reach. Located in New Buffalo, Michigan, the shop is one of the most accessible in the Midwest. In addition to being an authorized Panini direct dealer, the Sports Card Shop carries all major trading card brands, including Tops, Upper Deck, Pokemon, Yu-Gi-Oh!, and more. With all that new wax, a half million singles, and showcases full of graded cards, you're sure to find something great for your collection. Whether you're just starting out or a seasoned collector, The Sports Card Shop is your one-stop shop. So call us, come see us, or visit us on the web and social media. Our phone number is 269-469-0140. Website is the sports card shop at moco.com. The Sports Card Shop is part of the MoCo Retail Group, connecting sports, the hobby, and people around the world.
0: Well, I hope you enjoyed hearing from Ryan. He is sharing so much great information, so go check him out on all his channels. Start following along, and I guarantee you're going to learn something. Or at least you're going to have an appreciation for something that you may not have been aware of in the past. Let me know what you think about the show. Reach out to me on Twitter at TheMikeSummer. Send me an email at waxpackhero at gmail.com. You can follow me on Instagram or TikTok at waxpackhero. I would love to know what you think. And also leave me a rating and review on your podcast app of choice. I know Spotify just opened up the ability to leave ratings now on, on podcasts on Spotify. So leave me a rating. I'd love to hear what you think about the show. Well, that's all I've got for you today. So I'll catch you next time.